Hi there, and welcome to the Rashcast with Jake and John. I'm Jake. And I'm John. So it's a dark and dreary day here outside Nationals Park, but for at least some of us, spring is starting today. Spring training, that is. And to mark this august, suspicious occasion, we have Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post, beat writer for the Washington Nationals, author of the book Buzzsaw, raconteur, man of the millennium, and all those other accolades. Uh, and so Jesse, since you are a sports writer, the first question I have to ask you is, do you have opinions on the new Bruce Springsteen, Barack Obama podcast? No, no. I, my opinion is that I will not be listening to it. Also, <laughs> when you guys did the John, Jake, I, I was like, I'm Jesse. I thought that we had like a good like three J's in a row. I thought yeah, I exactly. could. We didn't practice that though. So. Well, we, no. we had Jeff Passon on, so we only get J names on the podcast. Okay, cool, we, cool, cool. Yeah, so. We're yeah. very particular about that. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, as I mentioned, today is the first, at least the first game of spring training, the first way that, that uh, fans can sort of experience spring training. Obviously, these games are exhibitions. They don't mean anything. Uh, the Nationals just released their, their lineup for today's first game of spring no training. Soto. Oh, no. no it's, it's a over. serious concern. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't imagine that Hernan Perez will be in the opening day lineup or that Andrew Stevenson will be hitting second and playing right field. But uh, spring training is, uh, is upon us. And uh, Jesse, you are down there. So the first question I have is, what's been different as you've, you've been to normal spring trainings? You've now, you're now here in the sort of first COVID spring training. How has this experience been different for you? Yeah, it's, uh, and I'm glad you said it. So we're like, we're four hours right now from the opening pitch of spring training. And like, people are already DMing me like, who are the pitchers after Eric Fetty today? <laughs> like, wow, like, everyone's in. Like, it's like, we are, we are we're ready for, and I do, I do not know the answer to that. I'm not going to break any news on the rash. Um, Damn. But yeah, I mean, the, I mean, spring training actually is a really fruitful time for me. Usually it's like, everyone's very relaxed. Everyone's very around. Uh, the, the joke we kind of make is like, you get to walk by people in the hallway that ignore your texts all the time. It's like, Hey, how are you? Good to see you. Hey, yeah. Okay. Five texts, you know, you got to answer. Um, but I don't have that now. I mean, we're just like, we're confined to like a very narrow path in between two fields that generally relievers are stretching on all day. Like I've seen a lot of TJ McFarland stretching in the last five days. And I'm getting like Zapruder photos of like the distance photo you zoom in, you know, exactly. Like all my distance photography is terrible. And usually it's like a super, you know, relaxed and like, and kind of exciting time for me because I get to talk to people that I don't get to see a lot. Right now, it's like the total opposite. It's kind of just standing in the sun, getting slightly burnt and watching a whole lot of nothing. But the exciting thing is, and this is like very um, double-edged sword, and it's not something that any Nationals fan will actually say is exciting, but the fact that the local TV provider does not do a good job showing fans what's going on down here actually kind of ups my worth marginally to cover these games. Like it's still, they're still fake, but like, it's kind of like if a tree fell in the forest and no one was there to see it, does not make a sound kind of deal, right? Like I am there to see it. So it's going to make at least like a very small, small sound. Right. In the same sense that uh, if, you know, media camped out in the woods and looked for Big, Bigfoot all the time, that would decrease the value of the amateur f- photographs of Bigfoot. Uh, okay. But uh, But that's kind of how I feel this year. Like, I think 
I don't want to say I don't watch exhibitions most years. Like I do, but I kind of like work during them. And this year, I think I'll be like a little more attuned because I am the eyes and ears of a lot of people who wish said local TV provider. It's like, it's like Baltimore, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. be great, um, is not <laughs> going to be providing coverage in the way that they should be. So, yeah, no. And, and as fans, you know, we've definitely lost a lot. It, it just not just from the COVID protocols, but, you know, noticeably from just being fans, no, watching the spring training, you've noticed, mm-hmm. I've noticed personally a lot of fewer, you know, just stories, fewer stuff coming out. And I wonder how much of that is because of COVID and how much of that is because of lack of coverage from as the Voldemort local TV yeah. production. <laughs> um, Wait, I, I thought you weren't supposed to say the name Voldemort. Well, no, you we know. Said it like oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's it, Chelsea wow. James would be very, very upset. Wait, start this over. Start this whole thing over. Um, <laughs> no, the, uh, yeah, I mean, I, well, I'm the only one who's traveled so far, so that's probably some of it. So everyone's writing off Zoom. And that's like a whole like pandemic budgets for media companies. It's a whole new rabbit hole. But, right. um, and then, yeah, I mean, we can't get as close, right? Like, I think it's like a very basic paint by numbers format, but it's like in normal years, it's like watch Steven Strasburg and Blake Swihart do a bullpen session. Watch Blake Swihart go talk to him about his cutter. Go to Blake Swihart in the clubhouse and ask for a quote, write story about Blake Swihart and what he thinks of Steven Strasburg's cutter. And like, that's like a sort of very like thing you would only write in February, right? Because yeah. like you're in the pennant race. It's not like you want to know what like the seventh catcher thinks of the ace, but like that's a that's a story in February that like just is not existing anymore. Like we just don't see that guy. We don't see him talking to the pitchers. We don't we don't get it. So I think like that's the sort of stuff. Like last year, like it, it was a very dumb story, but it was like I wrote about how Michael Taylor like creases his glove before the season, and it was simply because I was standing next to the trash can when he was like dumping the grease into it that he uses to grease his glove. And I was like, what are you doing? And he was like, baking my glove. And I was like, can I watch you do that? And he was like you please get away from me and then like kind of in his sarcastic way allowed me to like watch him do that so like that's like a very strange story that just like has been blown to smithereens yeah and just going off of that topic you know you know all these protocols change for how we cover the game how you cover the game you know what do you see sticking around after this you know the zoom interactions the less access to locker rooms do you think that's going to stick around after you know the covid protocols go away yeah, I mean, probably like like last year we started to like pare down access like the week of the pandemic started to so, like March 10th, 9th, whatever. And I we were like doing like one on one interviews, but like in rooms, but distanced, very scientific, um, but like but the, not the whole group. And we weren't in the clubhouse so, like Ryan Zimmerman came in to talk to me and he was like. Hey man, if I knew we could do this, I would have been licking door handles 10 years ago. Like he was just like, like, I think hopefully. BBWAA and PR people who are on our side somewhat will like speak up, but like mm-hmm. players will push for us to like be in a mix zone or hey, if two of us commit to going out to a the, you know the media room every day before the game, like can we just get them out of the clubhouse? I mean, I really hope it doesn't happen. I, mean, I think baseball, when done well, can be reported on better than any sport because of the access and time you have around these guys. But mm-hmm. I could see some of this reverberating in a sort of way that would that would be detrimental to readers. Like you might not notice it. And, You'll hear a lot of like, you know, table pounding from like the establishment writers, but like it's, it, it will be worse. Like that's, for sure. yeah. And do, like, do you think you could have been able to write like Buzzsaw if you had the access that you had now? Oh, Jesus Christ. I was actually thinking about that. Like if they won the World Series this year, mm-hmm. like what I would do. Yeah. It'd be, like, mean, like, it'd be like, it'd be like Buzzsaw too, the picture book. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, like I don't even yeah. know how we would do that. Like it's, mm-hmm. I mean, not that, you know, I, I hope that book has enough you know, clubhouse and inside access and relationship building that it shows. 
Mm. It'd be really interesting to try and do it without it and then be able to say to people like, ah, you paid 28 bucks for that one too and look how bad it is. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's like how we get them to realize that access is important. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, I mean it's, a, it's a much more controlled media environment now. Uh, obviously, I don't think that's, you know, that's not the sole design of this, but uh, it definitely leads to a lot more a lot more of the narratives that you see that aren't the narratives that the team would like to be pushing falling by the wayside. It's sure. just, uh, which, you know, is, is something that you lose obviously as a reporter, uh, but it's something that, that us as fans lose because that's, that's just a, it's a fun thing. That's part of the fan experience. Yep. Uh, I hope so, but, right? Yeah. yeah uh, hopefully it'll continue to be part of the fan experience. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but shifting gears, because we are actually playing games today, uh, and we will be 24 times until more, until April 1st. Most of uh, the same four teams. Yeah, well, entirely against gets, the, same four, gets the same four teams. Uh, although we won't be able to see it if it's against the Astros Marlins. or the Marlins. Uh, you know, we complain about the Nats not having a good TV provider. The Marlins, as of now, don't have a TV provider. So uh, it could be worse. Arguably better. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure the Nats would love to be free agents right about now. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we, we have sort of five spring training storylines we might be looking for. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, the first one is that fifth starter competition. Uh, Nats have sort of, it's always been assumed that Joe Ross had the inside track to the position. Uh, but the Nats do have Voth and Fetty. Uh, Fetty is the only one with an option left. And Rogelio Armenteros has been getting some play uh, or some, some I mean, Davey's been Davey's been talking a lot about him, it seems like. Yeah, he's I a, think it's yeah. I just think it's mostly because Rogelio Armenteros is a really fun name to say. And he's proud of that he can pronounce it. Although the first day he was like, we have this new guy. And kind of looked at the PR staff and he was like, right, let's talk about him tomorrow. <laughs> like, I, I can't go there uh, and so then, like someone was like so who was that new guy you were talking about uh yeah i think it's going to be joe ross i think it just makes too much sense um mm. had, had dawson both been like average last year i think he'd have a you know a place in the fight i think eric fetty's option kind of just squeezes him out like someone last year told me like eric fetty would have to throw like a hundred and strike out like 70 batters in spring training to like make this rotation because it just doesn't make any sense like he yeah. has an option like you just like it, it makes no sense to take him so that's you know that's tough for him but yeah it's probably going to be joe ross there was like some concern early i guess maybe that his arm was going to take a bit to ramp up because he was off last year but i think i think that's like kind of just i mean he, I he's had time off it just doesn't feel like a concern to me. yeah he's had time off before i mean coming back from tommy john working his way up yeah. from that yeah, so he's he's had the experience of taking a long extended break to work himself back up. You know, it's different now also not rehabbing, not needing to rehab versus being able to just work on working yourself back up. I, I don't, I agree with you. I agree that Ross would probably, has, has, definitely has the inside track. I just yeah. wonder what's going to happen with a guy like both, if, if they're going to keep him around or if they're going to, in the bullpen, or if they're going to have to option him. They can't option him. I mean, DFA him, my bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he has like a huge place I mean, I, I get like the, the starter for the long man thing, but like how often do the Nationals use like a three inning long man? Like, I, I think it's kind of an overstated like need. Frankly, like just because of experience, I, I would, if I was the manager, which is such a stupid thing to say, but if I was manager and making this roster, I would probably like take someone like Javi Guerra as my eighth reliever, ninth reliever. Like, it's just like, 
I don't know, like that experience is like kind of an annoying, like cliche trope, but it kind of is real. Like he's been pretty good in those like two plus scenarios. Doesn't always look great, but really you just need that guy to mop up and not get hurt. Uh, and so I just think like that's better than like taking your like could be starter and just like totally screwing them up with like these like two inning appearances once every two weeks. Like that, that hardly ever comes up as a scenario, especially with your rotation. Yeah. Well, so that sort of feeds into our next conversation, which is uh, both about starter workload and watching how starters, uh, at least through spring training, deal with the workload, having not uh, pitched nearly as much, you know, how the, how the Nats plan on ramping guys up. Uh, and that 26th man competition. Mm -hmm. I think at this point, I could see the Nationals going with a nine-man bullpen uh, mm -hmm. and a four-man bench. Uh, I don't know that that was the original intent, but with Jeffress on board and with the fact that uh, with an eight-man bullpen at this point, they still might not have room for another left-handed reliever apart from hand. Uh, and the other unfortunate fact that they don't seem to have high quality talent beyond the first four guys off the bench. It just, it to me shapes up like they're, they're planning on going with that nine man bullpen. Yeah. And like that would then maybe make carrying someone like both and Jeffress a lot more, that make a lot more sense then, right. To take like a six right. starter and just kind of work them in. If it's like a long, if there's like a weird scheduling thing. Um, yeah. And I think you're right. Like the bench, if you had someone like screaming for that bench spot, then yeah, like then you take them, right? Like if Yasmani Tomas was like on a major league deal and like mashing homers, like you'd be like, okay, yeah. But like no one really stands out as like you need to have that guy on your bench. And there is a guy who, um, good culture fit for the team, uh, Gerardo Parra, who on yeah, a minor league deal. I, I'm the wrong person to talk about culture fit with, but <laughs> I guess it's real. I mean, well, I, mean I, was, I didn't believe it. I wouldn't believe it either if it didn't happen. Right, 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 right. Seeing is yeah. believing. Like we, we have evidence of it working. Yeah, exactly. like, I don't think they were going to sign him to a minor league deal if he had a real shot. So I think he's, like, inside track. They're going to they're gonna add a bench guy to the 40-man, make him the 26-man. Like, I think I think it's Para. Uh, like, Jordy Mercer is, like, Josh Harrison. Right. The, the biggest misconception with yeah. this debate, and it's more like a Twitter thing, is the need for a backup shortstop. Like, that comes up a lot. Ray Turner plays, like, 160 games, and if he got hurt, the Nats are screwed. So... You yeah. don't really need to worry about your backup shortstop. Uh, well, I mean, don't get the need for that. If he gets hurt, it's Garcia, yeah. uh, and well, he'll even like as a band aid. It's Keyboom Harrison or Castro. Like for that game, right. everyone's like, "What are you going to do if he gets hurt?" You're they have that shortstop for, for a couple of innings, right? Yeah. It's and and Luis Garcia is a plane ride away, so it's sure. not. Yeah, it's and not a not huge deal. plane ride. No, right? Ride. Doesn't come from Fresno. That's exactly anymore. right. Uh, Rochester is a lot closer than Fresno. And then to answer your starter question quickly, like I think it's interesting. The ramp up's interesting, but it's kind of um, it's tough for the Nationals because Scherzer's ankle now, so we won't really get a real view of it. Uh, Strasburg's coming off surgery, so he's always going to be kind of like eased in. And then the other two guys, like John Lester and Patrick Corbin, would throw like 700 innings in the spring and probably be okay. Mm -hmm. They just like are like the most like rubber armed, like soft throwing dudes in the league. So I think they'll just probably be on track and. Mm -hmm watch them get hurt now and I'll look like an asshole, but I think they'll be okay. My favorite stat about John Lester is that he has not missed a start since the Bush administration. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah, administration? Like that, guy, that guy's ramping up fine. Like he's okay. Yeah. I mean, but that's, that's the curious thing. I mean, the, the Nats do have a very, 
you know, let's call it what it is, an old rotation that they're, they're extremely reliant on. Uh, yeah. And obviously no one has dealt with the kind of disruption that the pandemic brought last year. No, I mean, no one threw more than 70 innings. Uh, so, I mean, it, it'll be curious to see how maybe they manage load in spring training, but what their sort of plan is for managing the workload of their starters who are, who are supposed to be horses uh, down the line if they plan on maybe skipping starts. I mean, they do have uh, seven players worth of rotation depth, obviously of, you know, indeterminate quality, depending on how good Ross, Voth, Fetty are. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's it just, you know, I think there are going to be teams that are going to manage this differently. Obviously the angels have a very interesting problem with, they've, with, you know, Otani and trying to keep him healthy, but they've already sort of announced that they're planning on going to six starters. I don't think a lot of teams will do that, but I do think you'll see some sort of load management uh, that you wouldn't have seen otherwise in a normal year. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I'm actually going to use the rash cast now to correct the record on something. I so I need you to get this into a lot of people's ears. We're, we'll do our best. I and it's going to be uh, on a about a competing podcast. So I went on Effectively Wild on Friday, and they I, apparently I maybe slipped up. I was talking about how the, the the final record pendulum swings with like rotation, health, and success. And someone in the Nats flippantly was like. You're giving us a 20 win difference if our starters are good. And I was like, no, no, no. I said 10. So everyone's listening, whoever the crossover audience for these podcasts, uh, it wasn't 70 to 90 wins. It was like 78 to 88 wins. Some somehow it got lost in translation. But to your point, I think the Nats are like a 78 to 80 win team if the rotation's not like as good as it should be or like really good and healthy. And I think they're like a playoff team right or right on the fringe if. The rotation is like what it can be and like however managing the load early on or in like may and june fits into that is a puzzle i'm glad i don't have to solve but it's like i think a really big misconception about this team because of how it acted in the offseason was that the lineup was a major 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 issue and that's where sixth last season in on-base percentage and 10th in ops like those are generally like your go-to predictors of team offensive success and the offense wasn't good. Like, it looked no. terrible. I mean, you also had two guys who were kind of weighing down the scale a little bit. Sure, right. right. But, like, but it wasn't like – like, this team still goes as its rotation does, is my point. Yes. So, I, and I think managing those arms is going to be a huge thing. The difference in the offense is going to be the difference between competing and winning the division. The difference in the, in the rotation is how I've been uh, describing it, is the difference between competing and not competing at all. Right. Uh, so on to our final two questions. Uh I think one of the big things that the Nats didn't do as active as they were this offseason was play in the uh, left side of the infield market. Uh, And they've sort of given that position, uh, not just, uh, you know, like they've they've entirely turned the position and the hopes for third base over to Carter Keeboom for now. So well, like going in the last year, they had a Struble Cabrera who could spell key boom this year. There's no backup plan unless you want to count Josh Harrison as the backup plan. So it's key boom's job. So is, what do you think from key boom? What do you see from key boom? Cause I mean, as a fan, 
as someone who doesn't, you know, you know he's played what, like 50 games in his career, but less, than that. less than that, but I'm already ready to write him off as not the future, not the option. <laughs> it's a little early. I'm not a yeah, fan of this no, guy. But, but like, you're not, I don't want to say you are like kind of wrong. Not like you're not, wrong. <laughs> but like, you're, you're like, you're like slightly wrong, but you're also kind of in line to say that. And this is kind of like, and I'm actually talking this through because I want to write about this soon, but there is like a Carter Keboom conundrum, mm-hmm. pardon the alliteration, that like, like it. on 15 teams, let's say, let's just assume half the league's competing, half's not. That's not even really the case. On 15 teams, he'd be fine. He could hit seventh. He could fail. He could play a decent third. He could learn. On the Nats, who are like entirely allergic and – refuse to talk about like championship windows or roster windows. Like he's, he's might not be the right fit. Like it's okay for Carter Keboom to be not totally proven or too small of a sample size to judge, but also acknowledge that for a team that has one more guaranteed year of Strasburg, Corbin and Scherzer, uh, one, you know, a, a season in which their best players are still team controlled and entirely weight, entirely too cheap, given what they actually are worth. Um, all these guys on one-year contracts from Brad Hand to Kyle Schwarber uh, on down, like it actually isn't great to have a somewhat of a rookie third baseman who's still figuring it out. Like it just isn't. So be the wrong fit for a team that's trying to compete immediately, but also just like not be a total wash of a baseball player. And I think that's like actually what everyone's grappling with. At the same time, the Nats do have like, the Nets over have over a hundred million dollars in payroll commitments for next year, um, and uh, any ads they're going to make in starting pitching are going to be, you know, if they re-sign Scherzer, that could be another twenty-five, thirty million dollars in contract. The Nets are an expensive, top-heavy team payroll-wise, and they need some positions if they're going to stay to about a hundred and ninety million dollars as a, a cap on payroll, which Let's be honest, given, you know, given how much every other team in the league deserves to be criticized to some extent, you know, there's a, I I did the calculations a little while back. It's about a 12% decrease in salaries year over year from opening day 2020 plan to opening day 2021. And that's actually increased payroll uh, year over year, although it's down from 2019. Uh, if they're going to stick around with that, you know, just under the salary tax threshold payroll, they're going to need positions where they're paying players the league minimum. And, and Keyboom is, uh, you know, he's the one young guy they've got uh, in the infield. And he was sort of designed as this, you know, part of the reason that they chose Strasburg over Rendon in the 1920 offseason was that they thought they had this ready-made replacement. Uh, and he's still only 23 years old. Uh, so I, they're in a bind. And it's not as though you're going to be able to find someone cheap to replace Keyboom. Uh, and I mean, I think it might be a decent option for them to to wait it out and to see if, you know, Kyle Seeger is a a free agent at the end of this year. If the Nats desperately need a third baseman in mid mid season, they have options. Uh, Yeah. From, from Seeger to Bryant, who'll also be a free agent at the end of the year. 
right. to Eugenio Suarez, depending on what the Reds are doing. Um, you know, if they want to sell at the halfway point. So yeah, there are options out there. And so do you think that come August 1st, Carter Keeboom will still be the Nats third baseman? August 1st? Yes. August 1st. Or whatever. Um, Is the deadline now the 31st again this year? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I believe so. I and Jacob, to your point, like you're you're correct. I think a problem with the framing from the beginning, if we can track back to when Rendon left in December of 2019 and this is like on my end too is that the options were always presented as Keyboom or Josh Donaldson Keyboom or Justin Turner Keyboom or DJ LeMahieu Keyboom or whoever insert your high price multi-year guy I'm wondering if what if they just stop gapped it with Jake Lamb let him grow in the minors at 23 years old he'd still be a shiny top prospect that everyone was excited about we wouldn't know all this about him like someone of that caliber like mm-hmm. frankly doesn't make a ton over the league minimum like still fits into that 200 million dollar salary structure and allows you to spend more on your rotation in your bullpen and your corner outfields or whatever you want to do i don't know i, I don't know if that's right but i do think like it's not just what you know, so they star, had that star or rookie right they had that option last year uh they with chose cabrera? to give the position they had between cabrera and kendrick and castro they had the option to sort of piece things together and keep Keyboom in the minors problem was there was no minor league season there were no oh, minor totally. leagues I, yeah totally i mean i I'm, i guess i'm more going back to like like february of 20 yeah. right like, like instead of saying like he's our guy let's go out and sign a $2 million vet. Like I'd like to think, and no offense to our friend El Cabby, that, the, that there are better options at a low price than Estrubo Cabrera mm-hmm. as yeah. you're starting third baseman every day, right? Like it, it, there has to be a, a gradient here that's not just Kibum and Cabrera to the top. Definitely. But, I, but I, can't produce, I can't produce a great name for you that was available. So it's not like this, that there's flaws in this argument, but I'm just saying like, it's not just necessarily figuring out a five-year solution versus Carter Keeble. Right. No, and I, I agree like, with that. Well, we're revising history too. Like it's, it, this is not necessarily. Fine. And I think you could have easily made a justification for, you know, breaking the bank. And I mean, you want to talk about a four or five-year solution. A. Eugenio Suarez is on a four-year deal. Now, do the Nats have the prospects to get him given that he's, he's locked in at 13 million a year? Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably not. Uh, the Reds, who knows what they're doing? Uh, they don't really have much of an organizational strategy. They paired back little in a division that was easily winnable for them. Uh, and, uh, I don't. Yeah. And Jesse, going back to what you're saying about guys who, better than Cabrera, I mean, two guys, I'm just looking at last year's free agent list, and both these players were also available this year Michael Franco and uh, Travis Shaw, two guys who you could have signed for fair, relatively cheap. To been that everyday third baseman guy that probably was a better fit than a Cabrera. Cabrera. I mean, yeah, I, I don't or know. Todd Those Frazier are, even. They could have signed Todd Frazier now on a minor league yeah. deal, and it's they did. The Pirates, yeah. But yeah, but now you're kind of like, but now because of how you went into last February, you are now like. And I don't know how much the Nationals like cave to like media narratives. I, I hope not too much because that would be an alarming way to manage a team. But like you're now like neck deep in the Carter Keeboom era, right? Like if you mm-hmm. sign a veteran to compete with him, like now it's like, oh, is, you don't trust him then? Or, oh, he can't be the guy. Like you made him the guy last spring. Yeah. Like he now has to live out the being the guy until he's not, I think. Well, and we should still talk, I mean, he played 
23 games last sure, year. Sure, no, no. And I'm not, uh, and I'm not even, like, saying he shouldn't – like, he can't turn around. Like, I, I – it's it's less than a quarter of a season. His full body of work. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to make – I know that there were some, you know, sort of pushing this groin strain narrative. I'm not going to make excuses like that. Uh, the interesting thing to me about Kivum was that he seemed to – progress in certain areas of his game in the tiny sample size that we saw uh while like his defense was a huge problem at shortstop in 2019 even in the 11 game sample it was bad enough that you doubted his ability to play the position long term i mean his is uh he managed to put up a negative one war in 11 games and a lot strikeouts and defense for the two reasons his defensive why. fundamentals were, were not good uh he was playing with what you call a heavy glove uh it he didn't look good out there uh whereas at third base in the small sample size of 2020 he looked comfortable uh and in yeah. terms of on base percentage he was very strong he seemed to have a much better eye in 2020 uh he wasn't striking out as much but at the same time, all his power was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had one extra base hit the entire season. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what you can say about him. It's, no, he's it's very sort confusing. Of, he's very yeah. confusing. Yeah, the Carter Key Boom conundrum. I think that's a good good title for this segment. There are a lot of things on it, right? Like there's yeah. a lot of things because it's like one, how to judge him; two, how to judge him within the Nationals' like roster structure. Three, how to judge him within their payroll structure. Like, yeah. four, where do you go from here? Five, what do you do if he stinks? Like, there's a lot of, like, things with him that, like, it's kind of hard to, like, parse. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you can definitely make an argument for giving him an extended tryout this year. My personal favorite solution was I would have preferred to see the Nats spend the money that they spent on hand on a high-caliber – a Jerickson profile, a Tommy Listella type, a, a Kike Hernandez type, someone who would get 400 at bats as a, a Rover utility man. Uh, but if Keepum had a bad month and a half to start the season, could play third base more regularly. Uh, but they, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. Like obviously- you say you get Andrew Chafin and you get Jeremy Jeffress and then you like shrug back your full, right? Right. Uh, obviously, there are great reasons for, for going with hand. Right. Uh, the fact that the Nats have no other left-handers being a, a number one good reason to do it. But that's, I mean, it, you put a lot on Kibum, at least at the start of the season. It's not unrectifiable. You can get someone at the deadline, but uh, the deadline is four months away. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, yep. it's also a very Nats move quickly that, to get to decide that your hole is a left-handed reliever, make it so you can spend on that because you're going to like commit players in the offseason to certain spots, key boom at third, uh, you know, whoever else in certain areas, and then go get the best one. Mm-hmm. Like, like that is like, like we see that a lot. Like, if you think about the net, like the last like you know five years of like whatever team building or something, like there isn't a lot of like. And then they got like the the discount guy who's like a, a like take a flyer on. They get a lot of sure things. Mm-hmm. Like Mike Rizzo always says, like the back of the baseball card theory, right? Which is like not tried and true, but like he does say, like I like things that are proven, and you have to pay for them more. But he likes those guys. It's yeah. it's not a lot of we went and got 
you know, a wacky lefty who we think maybe could like, you know, make 3 million and then out, outperform his salary. Yeah, they're not they're not the Rays, but that means that they often maybe less so now than than they used to. But uh, the Nats had this, especially in 2015, is the best example. The Stars and Scrubs model, where they you know were a great team on paper, uh, but then you started to scratch the veneer with injuries, and uh, they just hadn't developed. You know, there. It, it's definitely they, they won the World Series with six pitchers. Yes, they did. Yeah. It was great. Like, like that's was, a you know, that, so 2019 is a pretty good example of it too. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and that but that wasn't really roster design. Like they did take the flyer that year. They took the flyer on Bearclaw, who was cheap. They took the flyer on Rosenthal, who was cheaper than he would have been because of the injury, uh, and it blew up in their faces spectacularly. Right. right. You like yeah. become you become the stars and scrubs because some of your moves to try and not be didn't work. Right. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, I think we have one more question for you. Uh, the the sports network that shall not be named. How many games do you think that they'll be end up televising the spring training? Oh man. Uh, Any? By the guess, a uh, couple. Couple. I mean, that's yeah. generally what they normally do. But that like seems like a huge five. waste. That means you have to get local camera crews. You have to like, like yeah. Why would you televise two games? That's got to be almost as expensive as televising five games. Yeah, this is like total projection. And I don't know if this is true, but I would imagine they would try and bundle that with like some sort of advertising for their new streaming service. So, yeah. Probably just which I don't even know. I don't know if it's ready. It's like a total projection. Yeah. The the only things I've heard about the streaming service is that it's going to be bare bones. Uh, and you, well, you have cable too. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's a, it's an in market cable streaming service, and it's going to be, you know, there's going to be very very few frills about it. It's just going to be sort of a website with a link. Uh, and I had heard at one point a week ago that Masson wasn't planning on televising any games. I understand that since changed. Yeah, but I don't know if it has it's very unclear i mean right as all i've heard right now is that they have not announced yet what they're doing which to me translates so they don't know yet what they're doing yet, so yeah. it's it's february 28th it's the first game certainly uh, is. is yes today you would think that they would you know move with a little more alacrity but i guess not uh okay johnny well, you got anything else no i think uh i think this is a great episode thank you jesse for uh hopping on the rash cast we really appreciate it of course guys this is awesome uh go have fun watching some baseball today in the nice florida sun we'll stay uh inside in the cool i'm in new england he's in dc the weather sucks both places so you enjoy okay. your you enjoy your uh son and spring we'll baseball we're there uh, sounds good yep I'll, I'll get i'll get you all the updates you need thanks jesse right. thanks jesse well that's all for us this week too uh Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week. We'll probably be more regular now now that the season's happening. Um, So we'll be back on next week. And uh, until then, talk to you then.